This podcast is a member of WGPRN, wildgamesproductions.com. I'm Chuck Norris, and I approve this game. This is volume number three, issue number 116. DM Vince sitting with DM Nick. Hello, everybody. And DM Matt. Hi, everyone. We are the Trepid Trio. I don't know how. (laughs) What do you want to call us? Anybody? Three Stooges? Woo! Been taken. Three Stooges been (laughs) taken and done to death. Yeah. With a a triple threat. There we go. Triple threat. Triple DM threat. So who's Candido, who's Douglas, and who's Bigelow? Uh, I'll be Douglas. I'm the franchise. Yeah, the franchise. <laughs> so I'm sorry you lost me. So, oh, it, it's an obscure independent wrestling reference that would go way over your head. So that Obviously. basically the two other choices are two people that are dead. Yes. <laughs> so. oh, well, then I don't want to be dead. <laughs> yeah. You could be. You probably recognize Bam Bam Bigelow. You remember him, Nick, right? Bam Bam Bigelow. Oh wow, he was an '80s wrestler. Yeah. Tattoos all over his head? No. No. Okay, Just well, that, no. That could be Chris Candido, then. Okay. Yeah. I, I was a huge fan of Tammy Sitch. So. And actually, I've me- I actually have met the entire triple threat. And kids. derail. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. We're doing a show here about Advanced Dungeons Dragons First Edition, not uh, obscure ECW, Ring of Honor, whatever. Yeah. Uh, wrestling uh, stables, as we call them. Anyway, we have a great show for you tonight. Uh, so let's jump right into things. Uh, what's been going on? Matt, you haven't been around that much. What's going on? Yeah, yeah what's been with you? Oh, Heroclix well, thing stuff, right? Yeah, Heroclix. The, going about almost a little over a month, me and my friends, we had our cabin con. We rented a cabin at a Kentucky State Park and uh, gamed all weekend. So that was glorious fun that. We're definitely going to be doing again. You gamed in the woods in Kentucky? Yep. And you came back alive? Yep. And more or less intact? Yeah. Wow, that's impressive for Kentucky. Yeah. And in this cabin con, I actually went into it with Concrud prior to it happening. I was, like, sick the entire weekend, but gamed all all night anyway. So All right, the game must go on. Exactly. The game must go on. Yes. Lots of battle tech and uh, X-Wing was played as well as like tons of board games. So we had quite the uh, gaming library for that. Yep. And then uh, I went to Columbus, Ohio for the uh, Midwest Regionals of the uh, HeroClix Open Realms Championship and, uh, and placed fifth in the Midwest region. So we'll- Yep. Won lots of fabulous prizes. Um, if only I could have got first, I've got a pass to Dragon Con, a pass to Gen Con, and uh, about a thousand dollars worth of hero clicks. But I'll take the three hundred dollars worth of stuff I won. So hey, good times. Stuff is cool. Stuff is good. And then uh, Matt, do you play that little mini pod game too? No. Oh, like the fighter pods, I think it's called, or something like that. They're like little Star Wars and little superheroes. They're like. As big as a penny or something? Oh, no. 
those. I, I've seen those before. I, I I have some like the battle dice. Is that what you're talking? That they fit? I don't know. They're oh, like my. really small. I don't. I know people have them at work all over their desks and everything. I was like, what the heck is that? Yeah. No, but I, I don't play that. I'm not actually sure. I've seen those. <gasps> I know. Wow. Hasn't seen yet again. I stumped the mat. That's the new segment in the show. Yeah, stump the mat. Dun dun dun. Stump the mat. Yeah, stump the mat. <laughs> stump the mat. And then a couple weeks stomp, ago, stomp, 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 stomp. Yeah, not stomp on mat. Stump, stump. the mat. <laughs> Sorry, Nick. <laughs> but yeah, then I had played in another big tournament where I won a bat cave hero click. They, na, 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 na. Oh, yeah. Okay. They they will actually be coming out with a '60s uh, television show with your award, hero Dick Grayson. Yep. They're they're going to be modeled after the sixties television show Batman Hero Oh Clicks. my god. Yes, they look I've seen some pictures, they look glorious. Batman Are they gonna have a Caesar Romero like Joker? Yep. Awesome. And the uh, I think they're even going to have the Batman. They're just Meredith Penguin? Yeah. Uh, yep, all of that. They're I'm not sure if we're going if we're going to get which uh, catwoman we're gonna get. <gasps> so there's Which Catwoman would you want? Ooh, I want them both. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That it's offhand, but there was one I really I liked. Want yeah, there were there was Eartha Kit. No, and then there was the other one, uh, Julie Newmar. Maybe it was Julie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So Julie Newmar. Yep, Julie. Newmar. I like the Michelle Pfeiffer Catwoman. You do? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. Just a little treat for you there. Yes. No, you're not. That's man. Not Batman. You're a comedic actor from Mr. Mom. <laughs> uh, wrong Batman. I know. Exactly. <laughs> Adam West. Batman. So let's talk about the Batman podcast now. Um, <laughs> Wait. Yes, as we go down yet another rat hole. And derail. <laughs> yes. yep. And five, four. Welcome to the Roll for Initiative. No, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. but yeah, outside of that, I haven't been up to much of anything else gaming-wise. My gaming group has been on hiatus due to just various schedule conflicts, but we'll be gaming after the show. So back to Ravenloft, where I'm sticking my characters i decided to uh plop them into uh castle amber i thought that would make a nice little pocket ravenloft domain oh, Chateau de Ambel. <laughs> yes just nice. tweaked it a little and it's now a pocket domain in ravenloft cool fits yeah. well yes it does yes it does and, and also in one of the prior domains they picked up a 10 year old girl and a four-year-old boy so the, now they have like two children with them traveling through Ravenloft. So oh great, yeah, they, plot hooks a plenty exactly because <laughs> they 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 brought the two kids back to figure out kind of what was going on in the world, and then when it came time to flee the domain, they forgot they had them on the ship. <laughs> so it's so, now oh no we have everybody to... like stood around and said oh now what do we do <laughs> yeah yeah they've actually talked well this castle seems nice maybe we can leave them here <laughs> there's, 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 yeah so in ravenloft 
Right. So the, yes, they're talking at a castle. We're leaving them at Castle Amber. Well, nothing could possibly go wrong. No, no. So I'll, I'm curious to see what they decide to do with the children. Have fun storming the castle. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So that's what I have in store is just having them trudge through more of Castle Amber tonight with a 10 year old and a four year old in tow. Cool. Yeah. So what about what's been up with everyone else since I've been off my own little world for the past month or so? Well, we did have various guests on the show, and, uh, you know, yeah. we had a good time. You missed the Witches episode. Yes. Yes, Witches. Witches. Tim had a great time. He wants to come back, so. Yeah, yeah that'll be fun. Yep, that was a good episode. I listened to that. So. I hope so. Good you stuff. edited it. Yeah. <laughs> 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 or maybe you edited them like Jason did. Fast forward, fast forward. Okay, here's a break. Let me put a, let me put a bumper in. <laughs> No, nope, I actually listen to it. Yeah. yeah. Nick, what have you been doing? Uh, let's see. Actually, we just went back to the previous campaign with my friend Jeff doing the quest for Bob. <laughs> so we're on the quest for Bob because Bob, you know, being an avatar of Grummish, we might have come back. And we're trying to hunt down this fellow named Brogan who's going through the celestial sphere. So we're using Spelljammer stuff. And uh, we ended up, I think I said last time when I was talking about this, we ended up at the Discworld. No oh boy. So we're at Discworld. We're trying to find out. One of the things that we found out, we're extremely rich. <laughs> <laughs> you don't give a gold piece to a beggar and then he just like runs away like going, I'm rich. I'm like, hmm, what's all that about? Yeah, we found out that like one gold piece is equivalent almost like to 500 awk more porky in dollars <laughs> so we're a little more careful now and spending our money but yeah there was kind of a climax trying to find this brogan fellow who's trying to make um all these different types of golems and make a golem army and uh, we got a few golems of our own basically ones that like uh make hot chocolate um uh, have uh, makes type of other types of fruit drinks. They're small golems. They're candy golems. So we got some of those of our own. Yes, it took on a very strange turn. Needless to say, it is the disc world. So, yeah, we 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 found out where um, we headed off a couple of these uh, spell jamming ships that trying to take over Ankh Morpork and Ankh Morpork. Oh, okay. The ancient cities of Ankh and Morpork. I know. On the Discworld. Now I sound like that fellow from that show whose name's I'm Larry Bird. This is my son, Dipakas, who has a tail. Anyway. Um, oh, yeah, that's right. Just one quick, since you reminded me of Discworld, I don't know how this is related to, but we do have to take a moment to say uh, a sad goodbye to Jack Vance. Yes, that's right. I was going to mention that. Yeah, but he passed it. It's a week of before the recording. So yes, it was during Memorial Day weekend, I believe, that uh, Mister Jack Vance passed away. He was ninety-six years old. I know. I couldn't believe he was that old. I and know. He, and he lasted if, a long life too. I was like, yeah. You know, and he lived a long, good life. It seemed like you know, I it's just seeing a man who was an integral part, oh, but in an indirect way. To the making of D&D. You know, the whole term Vancian magic. 
was a part of the D&D and AD&D system for such a very long time. You know, the whole idea of memorizing spells and forgetting them after you, you cast the spells. I mean, what, Prismatic Spray came right from the Dying Earth series of, of, of books. So have to pay our respects to the master of fantasy there, Mr. Jack Vance. Yes. So in honor of him. Mm, indeed. So Well, okay. Uh so yeah. <laughs> I guess back to what you were and saying. There we are. Yeah. Uh but what about you, Vince? Well, I've been playing my usual face-to-face game, the Tyranny of Asmodeus campaign, which is now just finishing up Chapter 2, going on to Chapter 3. Chapter 3. Is, it is titled Quest for the Diamond Sword. Hmm. And uh, instead, uh, the first two chapters revolved around the Rebel Alliance party smashing the beacons of Asmodeus that was keeping control over the world. They did those two. Yay! This third chapter is going to involve them finding a sword that's supposed to banish him completely. So this is they're going to be wow. Well, that's like quite epic. Oh yeah, definitely. So, and uh, other than that, uh, I've been watching Arrested Development, which is back. <laughs> okay. And finally back. Netflix brought it back, and uh, I had to say I was very disappointed on the first couple episodes, but. I stuck with it, and I'm very happy for that. Very funny. Very funny. That's just everybody go watch it now. No, I'm kidding. Please yes, go watch sir. it. Yes, sir. All right, I'm leaving the show. I'm going to go watch. No, 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 Nick, stop. Oh, 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 oh. Sit down. I'm sitting. Yeah, all right. And some news. Uh, let's see. North Texas RPG Con's coming up this week, or depending on when yeah. it's passed already. <laughs> oh, and uh, two weeks from now, Origins. Yeah. Yes. Yep. I will be there Thursday. Yep. Thursday and through Saturday, I'll be there with bells on. I'll be there Wednesday afternoon. I'm leaving early from work. Uh, <laughs> I'm taking a half day because I don't want not. I do not want to deal with that traffic going into Columbus. I usually go in at like uh, six in the morning, so <laughs> it's really not that bad. <laughs> no, that's too early. That's just crazy talk yeah. here. Yeah, I'm I usually. Believe- Go from work, get home, get my stuff, and they'll get in there around three ish. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'm commuting each day too from Cincinnati to Columbus. So. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, I'm mostly going just to play Hero Clicks, and usually oh, well. they're done by like two in the afternoon. They're, they run out of product. So at that point, it's like, meh. There's it Origins doesn't have the nightlife of Gen Con, so no, it doesn't. Well, obviously, you haven't hung around me. Oh, you know where all the nightlife is in Columbus. I know where all the nightlife is at Gen I, Con. I know the nightlife. I know I'm the, the boogie. boogie. I know the disco and I'm disconnecting anyway. both of your microphones now. <laughs> oh, fish posh. Yeah. yeah, so Origins are coming up. We got Gen Con coming up in the summer. Matt will be there. Nick, yep. you going to be there? Uh, probably not. I don't yeah. think I'm going to have the finances to do so, let neither, alone the time. Neither do I, but you know, we never know. We could, uh, show up because maybe our podcast will be in the Ennies final. No, I don't know. Probably not. Now, if that happens, sure, I'll be there. Yeah. If that happens, I'm taking over work and going, I don't care. Right. I mean, I'll at least go over the Saturday and Sunday, but. I don't think I, they announced it yet. Matt, do you know anything? Uh, I don't think they've announced the finalist yet either. 
It's like used they say, to... always the bridesmaid, but never the bride. <laughs> they used to announce it in May, but then they moved it up to July for some reason now. Yeah. I don't know why. Yeah. Uh, so that's it for some news. Oh, we have a new uh, article writer coming to our website. Oh, we do now. Yes, uh, one of our listeners, DM Harold, stepped up and is going to be writing an article called uh, From the Deck. Oh, cool. And uh, his first article, he's just finishing up right now. Let me see if I can get the title of it, if he has it up there. Yeah, it's called Playing Paladins. Uh, Drawn from the Deck, it's called. called Playing, oh, cool. Playing Paladins, and it's a nice lengthy article. I was reading it over earlier. Really good. He's got to oh. just throw his picture up, and then we can publish it for him. So well, up. thank you, DM Harold. Yeah. And there might be another, uh, you know, that guy, Blackstone. That, there might be another one. That jerk. Oh, really? Okay. Really? <laughs> hey, this guy's been taking paychecks for us for how long? It doesn't even show up. I mean, come on. Well, we'll see. <laughs> I told he you. is evil. <laughs> I told you last time I figured out the two paychecks were going to your address, Nick. I know nothing about that. Yeah. That, no. No, that's, that's, no, crazy talk. I don't know what you're saying. Okay, and you can visit us in the OSR Gaming Forums, as usual, to chat it up with all of us, all the podcasts, and uh, I know some people were asking about t-shirts. We do have our original t-shirt on the website, rfipodcast.com, the old school one that we, you, we first discovered, Matt, and I think, yeah, didn't you discover Matt in that, uh, Nick, during one convention? Yes. Yeah, yeah, it was. Mm-hmm. Yep. It was at Origins yes, back it was. in 2010. Yes. Yeah. And then we roped Matt into the show. Yep. Yep. Now you're stuck with us. I, I think Jason did that. He said, uh, you're going to be my person on the show. Come here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He he was looking to uh, outsource the uh, editing portion of the show. And I'm like, oh, I know how to I'm edit at the meetup. I'm charisma role. Yes. Jason passed it and Matt failed it. Yes. <laughs> Anyway, so, uh, Nick, do we have any stars? Yes, we do. We have a couple new starred reviews. So to remind everybody, again, go to iTunes and go to the iTunes store, type in Roll for Initiative in the search, and then you can go to the Ratings Reviews buttons, and you can type in whatever reviews that you might have of the show. Hopefully that you listen to the show before you give a review. Just kind of throwing that out there. You never know. Okay, but we got a, a first one here from his name's Nick Fifty Six. It's not me. Yeah. Some other but he that. says great podcast. Thanks, and it says five stars. It gives us five stars. It says, gentlemen, I am a forty-three-year-old who played AD and D First Edition as a kid back in the early eighties. I remember getting the Monster Manual Player's Handbook for for Christmas one year. Anyhow. I am trying to get back into AD&D First Edition and love the podcast. I listen to it all the time and think it's great. I've gone back and started with Episode 1 about a month ago, and now I'm up to Episode 37. We've got a lot to do, buddy, if you want to. We're at 116 now? Yeah, plus yeah. The, all the other stuff, the special ones and all the Gen Cons and stuff like yeah. that. Thanks very much for the entertaining podcast getting me back into my childhood interests. When I asked at a local comic book slash gaming store if they had any first edition stuff, the guy said, I didn't know guys like you still existed. Nice. Thanks, Nick Vizak in Houston, Texas. Uh, kind of in your neck of the woods right there, Vince. Houston? 
Yeah, four hours away, but yeah. Well, that's better than me. (laughs) Geographically speaking, you're in Texas. So is he. Neck of the woods. You are to that guy as me is to Nick, because we're about the same distance apart. Four hours away. Yeah. Same state, four hours apart. Yeah, pretty much. But uh, thanks, uh, Mr. Bizzik from Houston, Texas. And you know what? If you're trying to find players i think if there's lots of forums out there on the internet that you can um mm. find players for first edition ad and d yes meetup. they still exist meetup.com meetup.com i think we have one on osr uh gaming on our forums there's a you know kind of how to either you can play through the forums or you can try to meet people in your area texas particular i mean houston area you're going to be able to find some people. No problem, man. I think you'll get it. In our worst case, you can play online, you know, with a bunch of people. You'll use Roll20 as your interface, and uh, you might be surprised. So thanks for giving us the five-star review there. We got one more. It's from Ash Daddy 73 says, thanks, five stars. <laughs> You're welcome. Says great resource for old school gamers looking to harken back to their youth. After listening to their shows, you realize why AD and D needed no updated editions. Damn Skippy. I it's amazing to me how they can create engaging conversation week in and week out over a system that has been retired for decades. Retired? Really? That speaks to their appeal and the longevity of the game. Great resource, great slash relevant talk topics. Thanks, guys. Well, thank you, Ash Daddy. So we are up to 130 reviews now. Mm-hmm. 130. I'm looking and at up.com right now, and there's I'm counting at least six different things in Houston area. Wow, really? Groups, yeah. So he can got his lick, pick of the litter there. So actually, I stand corrected. I got 162 ratings, 142 five stars. So we must be doing something right. <laughs> so thanks for all the reviews everybody yeah definitely and that's all the stars we have this week that is all the stars we have yes so we got that we got that uh oh there might be another show coming on our network we can't really speak more about it other than okay. that it's well, gonna be cool though oh yeah it's gonna be really cool you just have to stay tuned and wait for the announcement so you never know i can't wait it's gonna be so much fun yay Oh boy, is it this great? That was a little too much, Nick. Okay, sorry. Dial it down a little. Right? Oh See, boy, this is wonderful. Matt's even speechless. That's how speechless. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah, Matt, I'm just. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just, just like new show. Wow. 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 Yeah. Far out. Yeah. All right, let's head into some sage advice. Sage advice. Sage Advice has been brought to you by Nestle Crunch this week. The crunchy chocolate milk crispy... I don't know, whatever. Uh, So Sage Advice, we have a couple emails, but no voicemail. No DM, Kojo? I'm looking at you, Kojo. Yeah, you. That's right. You sitting there. Right there. Yeah, right there. The poor kobolds have had nothing to do all week. They've been sitting there waiting for a call, but no. I'm going to cry. Yeah. Right, I sit in my sock drawer and sleep for days. Kojo, the key to the WGPN family, but he lost it now. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, well. 
But do we have other emails? Yes, we do. We have oh, three joy. emails. One says, uh, Nick, we don't like you. Oh, that's okay. I don't like you either. Okay. The feelings mutual. Next First one. one comes from uh, GM Freight Train. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> I already like where this is going. Oh. <laughs> I know. I like that name. Recently, I was running a game, and a player wanted his cleric to cast a create water spell inside an opponent's lungs. Ooh. <laughs> Interesting, right? I wasn't sure how to handle this, so in the interest of fun, I let it go. Oh, that's perfect. A ruling. Yay. I treated the affected foe as drowning. I only assumed it would be a slower death, but certain death indeed. I played it as the opponent was drowning. They were not completely immobilized. Yeah, they were not completely immobilized for three rounds. They were alive. But since the creature was a magic user, he could not cast any spells and was defenseless. What ah. do you do? Love the show. Keep it the great work. Keep the good fight. Game free trade. I like it. Yeah, it's a yeah. perfect use of, the sh- of it. Yeah. Oh, that yeah. Was, that's beautiful. I got to use that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I have. I would rule it the same way. I would let them do it just for being that creative. That's that's impressive. Yeah. <laughs> and just remember, you can do it to them too. Yeah. Mm. I'm going to do that to my character. No. All, all I can say is good creative use of a spell and good ruling. Yeah, there's nothing that says in the spell that you cannot do that. It doesn't say where you cast it or how you cast it. It just says you yeah. water. Oh, I just thought of something, though. The reverse of the spell, destroy water. What if you cast that on a person and destroyed the water in a person? They would take damage. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, so at that point, you're basically dehydrating a person. Ooh. <laughs> mm. <laughs> this is, at that point, you're turning into the plot to the Batman movie. Where they uh, dehydrated all the UN? Yes, I saw that. Yes. So they would be like beef jerky. Yeah. Yeah. Jerky. Mm. They love beef jerky. It's really good with beer. All right. This next email comes from DM Thomas, and it has some Latin in it, Nick. I know you're pretty good with history. I got a D in Latin. Okay. <laughs> so technically I'm only 60% proficient <laughs> do you go with Latin at all or no I just put it in the chat there for you guys I'll read I'll read the uh, I only found your podcast a few weeks ago and I've been listening to four year younger versions of those you still operating the show so he's back at the old cast it's been it's great by the way and jumps it jump started me to start a new ancient Roman based AD&D campaign so I've apologized if you've addressed this topic in the show I haven't heard yet. But I did wonder, did you guys have any experience with an, with any asynchronous gaming? And if so, what are your reflections about it? Thanks in advance, gents. Or if you say in Latin, I don't know, multus, gratimus, vobis, agim. I don't know. I think multus, I, gratitamus, vobis, agim. Agim? Okay. Yeah, I don't speak Latin, so. I know I don't speak it. What it means, I don't know. <laughs> I, well, if we were to dissect this, I would assume Gratimus is some sort of thanks. Yes, well, thanks. There's probably multiple or much Mu- thanks. Mu- much thanks, some th- again, or... God. Thank you very much. Yeah. Again, thank you very much. To Google Translate. Ooh, now you're cheating. So, uh, <laughs> based ADD campaigns, I know 2nd Edition put out a... Splat Glory book. of Rome splat yeah. book, yes. There was a Dragon Magazine article. Don't remember which issue of Dragon it was, but there was I would I think it's in like in the one twenties, one tens of Dragon Magazine. There was kind of a 
I know they did an article on the Roman gods. Yeah, they did. There was an article on gladiatorial combat. Uh, I don't remember if there was anything self else on the glory. Like, it might have been a whole like series of articles called "The Glory of Rome" or something like that. It, um, it's so hard to do one of those campaigns, though. You could do it, um, and if you get the 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 AD and D second edition splat book, it wouldn't be hard to convert. I mean, use that in first edition if you want to. Uh, you would have to, I mean, just off the top of my head, I would think you would have to uh, scale down uh, some of the, you, know, you wouldn't have like any, I don't think you would have like paladins or cavaliers. I don't know. You definitely have barbarians, fighters, definitely have druids. Well, wouldn't, um, wouldn't the paladins and cavaliers be some like centurions or something? I don't or, know. I, I picture them more like fighters. Maybe fighters. Or something Let's like that? Here. Let's see. I don't know. Yeah, yeah I found say. Yeah, found an article on the Roman Pantheon for uh, first edition in Dragon, uh, 133, page 26. And then Gary okay. Gygax also did one on Roman military organizations back in, I think, tw- issue 24? And that's probably more for wargaming, too. Right, but you could still steal some of the uh, background. Sure. Uh, I would say the best bet is get that Glory of Rome supplement and, and just backward compatible with the uh, first edition with it. Right, and really those books were more about the history and the uh, fluff of the world than hard mechanics, so there's not a lot to convert. Yeah, I had the ones for uh, the Viking. Yeah, that's the one I have. And the and the, uh, the Crusades ones. They do give suggestions how to handle uh, magic user and spell use and and certain magic items may or may not be included. Those are good for that respect. As far as any running a campaign like that in a his, in a real world historical context, I really don't have any experience with it. I have. I haven't done it. I mean, I don't know. Have you, Vince? No, I haven't really run that at all. No. Yeah, I I don't know about any of the any of the pitfalls that might be associated with it. I mean, I don't know you, Matt. Do you know of anybody yeah, who has? I haven't either. Uh, I did one year at Gen Con demo. It was like some indie game, but it was like uh, Roman and Gladiator combat. It, it was, but it was actually an RPG. And you were right. like gladiators, but as for actually in like AD&D, no. The closest thing I had, it was a few years ago, I did play in an AD&D game set during the Crusades, but it was just, you know, it was a one adventure at Origins. And it was fun. It worked. So you just got to put a little, you know, because you're adding a fantasy into a historical context, there's a little suspension of disbelief you have to have. Right. You have to decide how much of the fantasy is going to be injected into the world and how close are you going to stick to uh, real-world history. Think of, uh, out of second edition, the Mask of the Red Death box set. That was for Victorian-era Ravenloft. Mm-hmm. And that blends the two between having your various uh, demi-human races in a real-world uh, uh, Victorian setting 
But you also yeah. have your vampires and your undead and all the other demons and whatnot running around, too. I guess, like, right off the top of my head now, you mentioned demi-humans. You're not going to have any of them in a Roman campaign. Well, You're just going to have humans. You could, like some of the Roman slaves or something, perhaps are enslaving the demi-humans. I mean, it depends on how much, how you, how far you want to stray from real-world history. But Because you can, you can integrate them, I think, fairly easy. You make, the Romans will be the humans and perhaps they've enslaved some of the demi-human races. Because they see I them as lesser beings. Kind of like what they actually did. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, so there. Ah, I don't know. Next email comes from uh, Brian. He is uh, editor of the uh, N Magazine. Oh, cool. First edition magazine, if you haven't heard of it. He was on the show recently as well. Uh, guys, I've been ODing on RFI recently. <laughs> I hadn't updated my iPad in weeks. Got a bunch of episodes all at once, which I listen to on my way in to and from work. Beats the heck out of talk radio. True, true, true. In a recent podcast, 113, I think, there was a discussion of critical hits, if I recall. Mm-hmm. Right? In response to a voicemail from DM Kojo, who else, right? <laughs> One of you commented that they didn't care for the critical hit system that required a second roll to confirm the hit. <laughs> That's probably me. That I, was me, too. <laughs> yeah, it was probably me and you. Yeah. I instituted a second roll for both critical and fumble hits fumbles back in 1984. Why? Since critical uh, and or fumbles on a 20 or 1 occur 10% of the time, maybe he meant 5% of the time? Well, combined. Combined is 10%. Yeah. So that is a lot of powerful hits. My group at the the time agreed that it was too many. We were also using a photocopy of table from someplace which had lots of limb removal, so reducing the number of hits saved... Uh, GP on regenerations. <laughs> okay. Requiring a second roll to confirm hit reduced the frequency to a better level. Besides, monsters on average have many more attacks per round than PCs, so it's in their best interest to reduce the frequency. I have noticed that most players find the second roll exciting. The first roll that produces a 20 or 1 is a surprise, but the tension on the second one is great. So, wait, your miles may vary, Brian. What's the background? Okay. That's great. If it works for you, that's fine. That's yeah. Not saying uh, yay or nay to a particular way. It's just, I think it comes down to personal preference. Right. I personally can't stand that rule, and uh, I like it as it is. I think the surprise and element is ruined with the second roll. Right. Yeah, I don't like the second roll either. What I do is I, I don't have any, like, charts or, like, fun. Uh, crit hit tables I reference when I'm doing. I just kind of like, okay, what kind of would feel right and be amusing to happen? Normally it involves like weapons flinging out of hands or getting stuck in different things or yeah, like, tripping and falling. Nothing too major. I'm not severing limbs with a critical hit. No, I'm not either. I just do uh, double damage and then again like a 2.5 and then 3 points damage and Blah, blah, blah. I don't do anything major other than that. Right, but I, I've seen some critical hit tables where if you get a critical hit, the person's pretty much going to die from Pack one master. hit. Hackmaster. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. that, but, but that game system, it was built around to where you couldn't... The chances of, like, well, the mortality could be high, but there were some other things built in that could negate that. 
So, Ooh. Well, just okay. saying. But uh, I did use um, for a while a, a critical hit and fumble chart, even for my AD and D game. I'm like, you know what? No, I'm just going to keep it simple. I want to keep it simple. So if they get a crit, double dice damage. You know, if they fumble, then drop a weapon or hit. A yeah, drop a weapon or they trip or you know whatever. You know, they just lose their action for that round or some stupid thing. Oh, and the monsters as well. They do the same thing. Yeah, it goes both ways, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, you know, dragon could drop a claw. <laughs> Huzzah! <laughs> Their claw gets stuck in the ground. Yes. Yeah, they, they, yeah. they stub their toe. There you go. Right. It fumbled its bite attack and dropped its jaw? <laughs> yes, yes, it did. Anyway. It thank you, Brian. Thank you, thank you very much. If you want to send us an email, Nick, how do they do that? If you want to send us an email, you can go to. Uh huh. I can remember. Yeah, I know. It's been a while since I asked you, so that's why I'm putting RFI up. podcast at gmail.com. RFI staff. RFI staff at gmail.com. Or you can go to our website and click on the contact form and just send it that way as well. Or you can call us at 570-865-4210. The hotline. The hotline. Where we're standing by for DM Kojo. Yes. Just him. Just him, only him. No, everybody. You know, but anybody happen. else can call in, too. Yeah. But, Nick, I don't want you calling in with a fake voice, okay? No, of course not. <laughs> Hi, this is Bob and uh, Nick. Hello. This is uh, Joe. Joe. What about, I played an elf once. What about Christopher Walken calling in? No, he wouldn't call. He'd just come on the show. Oh, I see. Crazy. It's nuts. <laughs> I'm on the show. Uh, Christopher. You're, you're, due on, you're due on set. It's, why? No. You're fired. Get out. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> Let's head into uh, Table Manners. Typical of all the evil creatures in the world. I like to find one with table manners. What are you kidding me? I spent years cultivating the worst table manners on the planet. Table manners. Alrighty then. Here we are at Table Manners, and we're gonna talk about the druids. The druid. The druids. Nobody knows who they are or where they were going. <laughs> God. Yes. Spinal Tap. Yes. <laughs> but anyway, we're going to talk about the the Druid class, how it works um, in the in the game using uh, various rule books, Dragon Magazine article, articles that might help us in, enlighten some things about the Druid, how to play a Druid better, and 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 skimming it. I like, damn, I want to play a Druid now. <laughs> when I was doing research, I'm like, man, you know what? These hippies are kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> they can be pretty, if I may say, pretty badass. Yes. Hey. Can I say that? No. Oh. Matt Blue. I'm sorry. There you go. <laughs> They're pretty cool, to say the least. It's such so. a hard class to sometimes play, though. Well, it can be, but I think 
Well, it is a hard class to qualify for. Yeah. I mean, where you got your minimum wisdom of 12 and a charisma of 15. So up there, that that's pretty... That's that's a pretty hard thing to qualify for, especially the charisma, because most people use that as a dump stat. So, but you know, get, yeah. It, it ultimately, if you want to do something different, I think a druid's a good way to go. I always see the druid. Ever since seeing that the last the Hobbit movie, I keep seeing that one brown wizard is like the druid. Ragged-assed? Yeah. Or Ragadass or whatever his name is. He definitely was a druid, and that's oh, should, oh yeah. That that's how I always see druids played like that. With bird poop on their head? Well, I don't not bird poop on their head, Nick. Come on. <laughs> They're kind but, of nutty guys in the woods trying to uh, you know protect it. Well, if you look at the D and D rules and, and what it says about the druids, and they were actually a part of it from the very beginning. If you look at the original Brown books and the Eldritch wi- Wizardry book, they also they're more or less based off of the the Celtic set of druids that were around during the time of the Roman Empire, when the the Celts were in France and England and parts of Spain and Central Europe. So it's little bit based off of that for what we knew from uh, Roman accounts. So some of it's a little bit of uh, I guess slanted into view, but we go with what we know. Yeah, obviously. So and uh, without getting into too many great details on the Druid, how it is in D&D, because I think we all know how they, they pretty much are how they play out. I mean, they get some pretty darn good abilities even right from the get-go. Third level, identify plant type, animal type, identification of pure water, pass through overgrown areas areas without leaving a discernible trail, and on and on, various levels, they go up. And it gets even better if you use Unearthed Arcana. Mm -hmm. I mean, they gain even more abilities as they go up in levels. Like, uh, let's see... At 16th level, a druid is immune to all natural poisons. They can, at 17th level, they can actually hibernate. Hmm. Ah. Um, At 18th level, they can enter the elemental plane of fire. Fire. Yeah. Well, 17th level, they can enter the elemental plane of earth, and then 19th level, they they can go to water, 20th, they can go to air. They can then eventually they'll be able to go to the para elemental planes, the plane of shadow. Well, don't forget when a druid rises in levels, they have to beat the name level of the particular. That's right, because they can't go past. There's only one of the certain right. names of that level. Yeah, once you right. get level ten, there's not only able to be nine level ten druids, so you have to defeat one. Otherwise, you stay at level eleven. And and some people look at that and they go, what, that's strange. They're neutral. They seem to be somewhat pacifistic in a way. That Not true. The historical druids, no. they were warriors as well. In, or, in, in that particular uh, society, in order to go up the pecking order, you had to defeat the other one who was ahead of you. And that was either through combat or some sort of ritual, combatic ritual that was done. So that is in line with uh, the historical druids of of our world. So in in a in a game sense, that's why it, that's why it's there. Mm. But beyond that, what would people say? It's like okay, 
druids are gray out in the woodlands, out in a natural environment. Well, what about in a dungeon? How would they work in all those corridors and caverns and, and crypts and what have you that most of us are familiar with, with Dungeons and Dragons? It don't well, suck. No, I'm kidding. Actually, no. I know. They're no, all- contraire, my friend. <laughs> yeah, they're awesome. There was a really, there's actually a number of very good articles in Dragon Magazine. And you're probably going to talk about one, right, Vince? No. No? Okay. <laughs> okay. I just don't want to take up the whole thing. No, that's that's fine. Keep going. No, okay, fine. Where are you well? I'm going to talk more about it with the alignment part when we get into this. Yeah, that would be good. Yeah, but, um, I want you to lay down the class first for us. So, yeah, as like I said, we're all pretty much knowledgeable about the basic druid and their abilities as outlined in the player's handbook yeah. and a little bit more in an earth arcana. And that's all said and good. Now, trying to flesh out the character, trying to make it a little more playable to what people when they're playing the game just misconstrue as, you know, he's just a guy who's like a hippie out there in the woodlands protecting trees. Not necessarily. There's a really good article in Dragon Magazine uh, by a gentleman by, you know, Tim, by the name of Tim Lasco. He did two articles in issue 48, and it was also in Best of Dragon, uh, volume 3. He did uh, a write-up on the druid how to basically be used how he could be used in a dungeon environment. Uh, and just to give a basic rundown on the article, uh, and like some of the misconceptions that people have about druids when they're playing them. One, druids are, are claustrophobic when they're underground. Not true. They are not claustrophobic. I mean, he says, have you ever been in like a real deep, dark woods and how closed in you might feel? I mean, that could be claustrophobic, too. So, no, they're not claustrophobic. Like cabin fever type thing? Well, you know, just feeling like closed in and stuff. Okay. Um, the second thing is nature has does not have power in a dungeon. Incorrect. He says, certain there are certainly there are enough lichens, molds, small creatures, and other living things that which a druid can feel nature's presence. The stones and rocks of the dungeon itself bring the base of nature's power can give a druid a solid feeling in an unfamiliar environment. Remember that nature encompasses many things other than plants and animals. The idea that a druid is powerless in the dungeon is ridiculous. And I found that out with my Temple of Elemental Evil campaign. Uh (laughs) Um, All you need is a little, for some of those spells, all all you need is a little crack in the stone and there the druid gets in. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. He gives some really good examples on... I just love the picture that there is in this article where he has, like, there's a druid, he's... Obviously, he's casting uh, either speak with animals or charm uh, animal spell on on a, on a rat. And those are common creatures in a dungeon. Yeah. So, you know, that rat's probably been around all over the place in the dungeon, and he could probably tell the druid things like, yeah, this is where this is, and this is where that mm-hmm. is. Oh, these were these monsters are. Uh, he threw in also another uh, thing about the druid in this article. Basically, two new weapons: the blowgun, which was new at the time, and the scythe. And I'm not talking about the little one. I'm talking like the big one that, like you know, pictured with you know, you know, death Reap- uses or Father Time, the big scythe. The reapers. Yeah, like the Grim Reaper uses. Um. So. 
that's a pretty good article about uh, a little bit more about Druid in a dungeon environment. Uh, there's some suggested rule changes. Again, that's those are just suggestions, like how the Druid spells work. And in particular, he says, you know, there's I guess there's two different types of mistletoe. There's greater and lesser mistletoe. He gives some examples of some druid spells. If the druid gets a hold of greater mistletoe, it might enhance the performance of the spell. So um, hmm. those are some of the things that he, he does propose. Uh, I think, like uh, predict weather, I guess it, it increases the, uh, the, the ability to know uh, and a better chance at how to predict the weather. Uh, that was just one example. Uh, he also talks about the possibility of sage ability of a druid, like like on flora and fauna. I, I would think that would make sense if you wanted to consult a druid as a sage, or if you had a druid in the party, they might be a little bit more, obviously, more knowledgeable on certain types of natural animals and plants. I haven't seen too many druids being played in my years of playing, honestly. No, yeah. I, I, I haven't, but now I'm looking, I'm like, you know what? Druid's a pretty fun, interesting character to play. Yeah, I I allow them in my campaign, but I've modified them a bit, and I have to talk, wait till the next segment to talk yeah. about more to do with the alignment and anything right. else. So, so there's that article, but and that's again in issue forty eight of Dragon Magazine or in Best of Dragon Volume Two. Now, I did find a couple more, a couple other articles. There was a really, really good whole section of Dragon Magazine dedicated to the druid class and it was issue 119 and there's a fantastic article uh by carl Sargent from back in the day yeah on on druids and basically talking about their spell ability and i am and also their fighting ability and the and again a little bit more about the druid in the dungeon and Druids make actually pretty decent backup fighters. Mm-hmm. Uh, but where they really shine is their magical abilities. For example, even at first level, the Druid has four first level spells compared to a Cleric's three. Now we're assuming, in the article he's assuming they both have the same amount of wisdom, 16 wisdom. Right, right. Okay, two of the spells are essential to the druids. Speak with animals and animal friendship. Oh, yeah, obviously. I mean, with these two spells, at, at first level, you can... Now, in the, in the confines of the spell, you can charm an, uh, or befriend a, an animal of, of two hit dice at first level. Now, here's the thing about this spell. It goes incrementally as you go up in level. So even at first level, you're getting two hit dice creatures as companions. So that's a pretty good um, <laughs> that's a pretty good uh, addition to a party. If you need another, like, maybe a backup kind of uh, a fighter, mm. I did a, a list of all the different two hit dice, or if you can conclude maybe up to two plus four hit dice creatures. Right. Uh, that even at first level, a uh, a first level druid can, uh, can use these spells on. Giant ant, badger, giant bat, the blood hawk, 
wild cattle, dog, eagle, falcon, goat. Up to two hit dice of herd animals. Horse, you can do the light, medium pony or the wild horse. Jackals, minimals, otters, owls, rams, giant rats, ordinary rats, ordinary and huge raven. Uh, that's just the name of few. You got the giant seahorse, two hit dice, giant seahorse, skunk, huge spider. Spider. Yeah, huge spider does fall into this. I like spider. A poisonous snake. Ooh. That's just to name a few. Yeah. Uh, I'm just going through the list. It's actually pretty impressive. One of the things I found on it, I'm like, oh, wait a minute, a giant poisonous toad. It's two hit dice, has animal intelligence, and it's neutral. It, you can get a giant poisonous toad as your druid's animal companion. Um, you, every time that toad bites someone, it has to make a save versus poison or die. Is that not great to have at a first-level party? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, and we'll talk about it later on in the treasure chest, but I found a druid spell that has the uh, potential damage output of 1,000 hit points. Oh. oh, I think I know what spell you're talking about. Yes. I Does can't... that do with certain bugs? Yeah. Well, I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. Let's skip yeah. that second now. Oh. <laughs> but here's the thing about the animal uh, friendship spell. Each level the the draw goes up, it goes up two hit dice. So at second oh. level he could charm four hit dice animals, then six hit dice animals at three. You're already talking about lions here, folks. And tigers and bears. And bears, oh huh. my, yes, all three of them. Imagine at second level getting a four hit dice bear as an animal animal companion to your. Um, to uh, to your druid in the party, that's a great addition to your party when it comes to combat. He's a he's more or less a backup fighter protector for the druid, but he's still there as a fighter. And when it comes to actually hitting, and he does uh, bring this up in the article, actually hit for hit, they have a better to hit chance than a fighter of comparable level or higher. Because it's a hit dice monster that's hitting. Right. So, and those are just, that's just those two spells. Speak with animals and animal friendship. He also talks about um, another good spell would be fairy fire. Fairy fire is good because what does that do? It burns you, fairy. Oh, sorry. Well, it has a good range, 80 feet. It's area of effect. And it get a plus two to hit to all your enemies. Ooh. And there's no saving throw against its effects. Me likey. So, again, uh, the third spell to the druid's repertoire at first level, you know, cast fairy fire in a real heavy-duty com combat, maybe against, like, a bunch of orcs that you're going to get. Now all those orcs that you're fighting, now you're, all your companions, including yourself, are plus two to hit to them because of the fairy fire. Hmm. So that's just that. A f also, first level druid has detect poison, detect snares and pits. So I would say for <laughs> that's just for the first level druid. Four great spells: detect poison, detect snares and pits, fairy fire, speak with animals. Great. 
I'm going to say for a druid, your main spell is going to be speak with animals, especially if you're in a wilderness yeah. setting. That's going to be your go-to spell first level. Mm-hmm. Um, he even goes on the second level. Oh. Heat metal. That is great to use against non-magical armor, metal armor, because they're going to take damage, and if they want to strip out of their armor, they're effectively armor class 10. And not to mention, depending on the armor, it takes a while to get out of that armor. Exactly. So they're concentrating, getting out of their armor, and not doing any attacks or defending themselves, pretty much. Also, you could keep metal on metal weapons to help have them drop their weapons. Uh, he really goes through a whole list of, of different types of spells that are extremely lo- uh, useful in the Druid's rest repertoire. Right. I, I, mean, I could go through it here, but it would just take so long to do. But what he really, the best thing he does is, uh, at I think it's near the end of the article, is number of spells per level uh, compared to the cleric, magic user, and illusionist. At first level, a cleric has three first level spells. Magic user has one, and illusionist has one. Druid has four. Okay? Right. Second level, cleric gets four, magic user gets two, illusionist gets two. Guess how many the druid gets? Five. Ten. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Wow, indeed. And then if you had a yeah, wisdom... And that's assuming that they have, like, a high enough wisdom. You know, let's say they have... Let's say the cleric and druid have comparable wisdoms of, like, 15 or 16. Yeah. That's why you want that high wisdom score. Yeah, cleric at third level gets 10 spells. The druid gets 16. Shoot. Magic user gets 4. <laughs> yeah. And he's getting all those uh, spells like Cure Light Wounds and all the other ones that were common to the cleric as well. He's just getting a lot more. Right. If you look at this article, uh, you could see why. And this is one aspect besides the animal friendship, I think. Getting those multiple hit dice animals to use as backup fighters in your group. The Just a massive amount of spells a druid can get and at such low levels this is where they really shine and i'm looking at this i'm like man why didn't i catch up on this before because you know what i want to play a druid now (laughs) yeah and their experience point comparisons are really not that much difference they're right in between cleric and magic user right right at the lower levels from like first to third uh when they get the fifth Actually, the experience point levels, what they need to gain, the go up, actually are lower than the other three magic using classes. So you can gain levels quicker and get your spells faster. I actually noticed that in my um, Temple of Elemental Evil campaign with the with the kids. I have one person; she's playing a druid, and once she she got up to like fourth level. She's like, she's like the best fighter in the group <laughs> and the best spellcaster. <laughs> so, yeah, this is a very good article on on the Druid and Dragon magazine 
number 119. So it'll give you some, uh, if you never played a Druid before and you're looking at playing one, that's some really good food for thought. Um, there's another one, or another article associated with this huge packet of stuff that was really, the issue was dedicated to the Druid class. Um, there's by John Warren, this article talks about the Druid as healer and protector. And there's some variants the Druid character abilities, like using medicinal compounds made from herbs and other plants and other vegetable matter, how that might play into a campaign. I look through it, in my opinion, I think this might make the Druid a little too powerful. <laughs> but, I mean, that's up to you. I mean, it depends on... I think it would be a good addition if you're focusing on a real woodland kind of high fantasy campaign. I think that would fit in really well. So there's, it's a good article for that if you want to add those sorts of additional skills to the druids' uh, other abilities, like making antidotes, um, balms for burns, uh, parasite and insect repellents. Stuff like that that he, that maybe the druid can make. So that's that article, and there is another one after that on becoming the great druid, and that's by William Volcart and Robin Jenkins. They did an article about you know just a little bit what might be a little more detailed on what happens in that ceremonial compact combat between grand druids when they go up in levels and if that's something that you want to add to your campaign just to kind of flesh out that sort of uh, that sort of thing with your druid if you just say okay you find a druid you do the combat blah 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 you're done you lose or win however you do it or do you want to go in a little detail maybe this could be part of a kind of a midi side trip to your to your campaign you know Maybe one of the quests is they has to go seek a, a Grand Druid. And this article probably helps. Uh, it helps out to to bring that a little bit more to life in your in your campaign. And it's very lengthy. I'm really surprised the amount of uh, effort that they put into that. It's pretty good. And lastly, <clears throat> I believe, in this issue, is uh, cantrips for Druids. Because they yeah. need more spells. Because, yeah, they don't have enough. So, yeah, you know, cantrips for clerics. Why not cantrips for druids like uh, bird call, dry wood, or disinfect, test soil, uh, mark path, cause rash, heal rash. <laughs> so, some, some cantrips for, for the druids there that you can add if you want to have them in your kit. And there was one last article... I don't know why they kind of um, they threw it in, but it's about the Beast Master NPC class, basically a Druid ally. I can see that. Okay. Yeah. So the, if you want to see where how the original Beast Master class came from, uh, you could go to that article. I really didn't want to go too much into it on that. <laughs> yeah, you can look at that as well. That might be an interesting addition to your campaign as an NPC character class. And uh, the last one I found is uh, there's an article in issue 122 on the Druid. 
and this is basically more spells. It's by Arthur Collins called The Natural Order. More spells for druids everywhere. And um, some of the uh, find water uh, ceremony, and it depends on the different seasons. I guess ceremony spring, ceremony summer, fall, winter, what have you. A hibernate spell. So there's a whole listing of all these different the different spells that you can add. Uh, you can look at those too. I just thought that I thought the most interesting and best articles were the one that's out of. Uh, that Bastard Dragon I have in issue 119 had some of the best stuff about about druids. So there's a lot of reference material that you folks can take a look at in playing druids and how you can, you know, just make them more than just the trippy, uh, hippie tree huggers that they are, that they're normally perceived as. Ultimately, I think pretty kick butt class <laughs> yeah definitely I would uh, love to see more people try playing this class I, I just have my, my minor problems with it that I'll speak about next uh, segment mm-hmm. I mean, have you, you said you haven't played the druid right right Vince I have played a druid before like way way back and I didn't enjoy it because of mostly because of uh, the alignment the alignment <laughs> issue we're going to talk about that in a little bit yeah, yeah. and yeah I hope so because there's some other things that I think some people play it wrong in regards to their alignment. So why don't we just jump, in, jump into that segment anyway? Yeah, so. yeah, why don't we do oh. that? Let's uh, head right to our DM rules. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want, but are a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. I will look for you. I will find you. So the DM rules, uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about the Drew class, mostly about the alignment and how it's restricted to uh, true neutral or just basically neutral alignment. Oh, we didn't make a note, Nick, in, in the, uh, the last segment about how it can only be a half-elf or just a human playing a druid. Yeah, I never understood that, why elves or half-elves cannot be druids. This kind of struck me as a little odd. I always thought an elf could be a druid because that makes a lot more sense as they're like the forest. Me too. Right. Yeah. But I guess that's because they have rangers. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe because the elves are more associated with arcane magic than nature magic. I don't know. But anyway, on to uh, what we were talking about, the uh, true neutral alignment. Uh, a lot of people have problems playing true neutral, and I know for one, I do too. So that's why I kind of changed the alignment for druids in my campaign. Mm-hmm. But true neutral is kind of a balancing alignment. They have to take everything into consideration and they have to balance it out and decide what side is the best side for them to ally themselves with. So I always thought a druid class should be like an NPC class. And that's how they originally were. Yeah. And and, I think an original D and D they were. Yeah. I don't know if they might have been, I'm not sure how the original, the LBB is. So, um, yeah, so the neutral alignment class is something hard. Uh, alignment class alignment is hard to play. So I know players have a tough time just determining how to play that. So yeah, what I've done yeah. in my campaigns, for one thing, is I've made it that druids have to be chaotic good, and that's the only alignment they can play. Really? One because of 
uh, I feel that the way they act and the way they're supposed to be is they're they're supposed to be a, a good aligned person because they're protecting the forest. They're in one with nature. They protect their nature's protector pretty much. Even though they say rangers are nature's protector, druids are nature's protector as well. That's true. And I feel that as a nature's protector, you would be good. You wouldn't be evil. I don't really think an evil person would want to protect nature, even for yeah. evil reasons, in my opinion. Well, I, I can see the druids more as wanting to maintain the status quo. Maintaining the balance, yeah. Right. Uh, they Because good means that things are advancing, and that in, could include, okay, the forest needs to go away to better man, or what kind of... Urban sprawl, if you will, could be considered good in some ways. Whereas the Druid would be like, no, we must maintain levels where they are now. So I could see them being more like of a neutral and then insert like good or evil. But have them, instead of being chaotic, have them be neutral and then you pick which end on the good evil scale you want to go. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. But I've always used chaotic good as their, their alignment of the way they act because they can jump back and forth between following what's going on to following what's not going on to being good. So mm-hmm. okay, That's my solution, because I cannot stand the true neutral alignment because a, I don't know how to play it properly myself and I'll admit that. Mm-hmm. And uh, B players don't know either. And yes, I've had one person in one of my groups once play a druid and he just still didn't play it right. So, and how did he, I'm kind of curious, how did he not play it right? He didn't do anything in the whole entire game. He just stood back and just watched everything. And oh, really? It. Well, that's... Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, druids aren't watchers. So, no. yeah, they're not no, a watch. They, they watch, but they also have to... At times, they will be called to action. Right. They they know when it's appropriate to act and when it is appropriate I to watch. the reason why people do that is because of the one line in the player's handbook that says uh, that druids will may not react right away to a situation but they're more more about getting revenge the situation of what happened that but so i think people get that confused well that line's just in there they're not going to do something stupid yeah it's to prevent well okay i'm one person and this entire army is decimating the forest fighting back now is really bad and stupid so therefore yeah i'm going to seek revenge later as opposed to some more of like a maybe like a barbarian or other more aggressive people would just fight in the face of insurmountable odds. The druids are a little more uh, cunning than that. Yeah. But this player was standing back. He wasn't playing. He was just, well, what are you going to do? Well, my character's neutral line, so he doesn't see any major misbalance in the force right now. So what are you, a Jedi? Do you just play the cards? I think another way that when it, maybe it might come to alignment or even to how it's perceived in the in, in the in the in the books is how they're quote unquote woodland protectors. Yeah, yeah. I think some people take it to the extreme as like they see a lumberjack cutting down a tree. You're like, no, you can't cut that down. It's something living. No, you can't. Eco terrorists. Yeah, they play them as eco terrorist hippies. Yeah. Which is not true in the least at all. Yes, they are for balance, but they understand that there is a give or take, give and take in the world. Right. Like the druid would not have any problems of someone who is a lumberjack who only takes what he needs 
of of the wood that he needs to build homes to right. to uh, make log cabins or whatever. Right. Uh, he doesn't take more than what he needs. Right. He would have problems with excess, not exactly. with essentials. He would have problems with like you know just to give an example like uh, like. You know, when Saruman was having all the Urukai cut down all almost all Fangorn forest. Yeah. Yeah, a druid would have a problem with that. A druid would have problems with strip mining. Right. Any, anything that just le- leaves wanton destruction in its wake for no reason. And so, yes, I'll, I'll say this right now. A druid would not have a problem with someone hunting for sustenance. No. Because no, not at all. Because it's part of the circle of life. They would... Be, but of life. Yeah, the druid it. may actually hold a small lion cub on the edge of a mountain up during, into the sun. Yeah, during the third edition era shh, edition that shall not be named otherwise uh, wizards of the coast who took over Dungeons and Dragons defined a neutral alignment as a neutral character that does what it seems to be a good idea so they do what they want she does they use the term she as well she doesn't feel strongly one way or the other when it comes to good versus evil versus law versus chaos i don't like that <laughs> i don't like that either and there's another thing that it Bur- sounds kind of neurotic yeah that that and the other version of it called unaligned that burned my butt that alignment when they came up with unaligned un- unaligned yeah, fourth edition had unaligned. Oh my god! Wow, uh, just to, how how murky can you possibly? That's the alignment I want to be. Yeah, that basically that just means sets- I could get away with anything. So, yeah, in other I- words, how most players play chaotic neutral? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, I don't know what to say. It really burned me when I saw that they they reduced the alignments. But I I think what we talked about though is like how they people misrepresent playing druids as like, you know, eco-terrorists, and that's not in the case. They are for balance, and they understand that there's a give or take in, in, in the natural world. Yeah. The, they just want to maintain that balance. The druid runs into the same problems that a paladin does, that players want to take what is written for their alignment to the extreme. Yeah. They want to be... They, they It's almost like they're looking for the... Black and white, this is what I must do, and I don't have to think, and I don't understand why. There's shades of gray when it comes to any alignment, including true neutral, including chaotic evil, and including Mm. lawful good. Now, I could could see, Vince, uh, why you made him chaotic good, because that also eliminates the problem if someone wants to play a druid ranger. Yeah, that's also another reason a lot of people like playing Druid Ranger combinations. Yeah. Uh, here's your uh, here's your description of unaligned, Nick, that you, just in case you're interested. Uh, you're unaligned, you don't actively seek to harm others or wish them ill. But you also don't go out of your way to put yourself in risk without some hope for reward. You support law and order when doing so benefits you. You value your own freedom without worrying too much about protecting the freedom of others. What does that sound like to you? Neutral. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It sounds like a chaotic neutral to me, actually. Yeah. It sounds like Cartman. Uh, yeah, it's not chaotic neutral. Chaotic neutral's different. That sounds like almost a true neutral to me. Yeah. But that's unaligned. Well, they just redefined the alignment system incorrectly. Mm. Yeah, they dropped all the things pretty much. They had lawful good, good, and then I think it was... Yeah, they. I think they went to a five-point Yeah, system. five. 
Oh God, stop, stop it. No, my head's going to explode. No more about that. <laughs> so what would you guys do in your game to make it true playable? Nick, would you just leave it as it would be or would you modify it a little bit? Well, like I said, as far as playing the druid, DM standpoint, the the balance thing. Yeah, people have to get away from the you know the tree hugger. You cannot cut down any trees in this forest, or you're destroying the ecosystem. No, that's not how druids are pl- should be played. Druids are about balance. They understand that you give and take out of nature. They're not going to be enemies to farmers or to or to, uh, to the woodsmen or to rangers or anything like that. As long as everybody maintains that balance of, of they, they take what they need from the forest or from whatever environment that druid is in, then the druid will not have a problem with it. Right. The druid would have, has problems with excess. Not, excess. Yeah, I think that's what people should focus on. Is this an excess? Is this overkill? That's something they would be opposed to because that's unbalanced. I it, would almost liken it to like uh, to what the uh, there was a um, some of the the conservation movement that happened in the late nineteenth century in the United States. Uh, there was a this this movement of people. I think Teddy Roosevelt was a part of right. this. Was uh, yes, we should protect certain forests and woodlands and we'll have all these national parks but we also there's a give or take in the world that we have to we only take what we need and and a lot of that uh conservation movement at that time was that's how it was kind of defined right it was like there is a symbiotic relationship between man and nature and they work together to ensure both survived right right because they, uh, the druid in in this context understands that man is a part of nature, and he should stand in balance with nature. That's how I would define it to somebody. That's how I defined it when, um, when this when this person wanted to play the druid in in the in the uh, in the campaign, and they were like, "Oh, that makes sense." So they and they were perfectly fine with that because other ways you would think someone says, "Don't eat that meat. Meat is murder." You're eating meat, so you you murdered that that deer. Um, that no, he had feelings, man. Yeah, they're not the bunch of pita people out there. The yeah. Druids aren't like that. Right. <laughs> yes, P I T A. No, not the oh. bread. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. If you P E T A, people eating tasty animals. Oh, okay. Oh, maybe not. No, I was thinking about the term pita pain and the you know. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> but that's how I do it. I mean, what about you there, um, uh, Matt? I I'm really go something very similar. I mean, it's I don't feel the need to change the class. I think the class can work fine as, as it is. It's more of a player problem, not a class design problem. Right, understanding what the class is really about. Right, and, and most people, I, th- it's, I think certain people like playing... Characters that like be are almost caricatures of a character as opposed to real people. Mm-hmm. They almost like comic bookish. Yeah, and if you were to play the comic book version of a druid, yeah, you could easily. I can easily see how you would go down the. He's the eco terrorist route. He mm-hmm. he's the one that's going to be uh, attacking the merchant caravan as it travels through the forest. 
because it dared to have a path. But if you just play it as it is and that they want to see man and nature just coexist happily with each other and neither one gaining power over the other and have it. So they would be opposed to nature overtaking man just as much as man overtaking nature. So it, you just have to get that really hammer home the fact it's not one is more. It's not that nature's more important than man or man's more important than nature. They're both equals in the eyes of the druid. And mm-hmm. that, that's what you really need to hammer home. What about you, Vince? You said you did some other kind of tweaks to the character class besides alignment. What else? No, that was mostly it. Just the just the just the alignment. Yeah. I would almost go if you do play it. Just kind of throwing this out here. Uh, if you do, if someone does play uh, as written with the alignment as neutral, you can have justifications for things like why is there a band of orcs on the edge of the forest on the other side of the forest? And their druid could say, well, they had. They only took what they needed from the forest. Right. They never endangered me. They never took more than what they needed, so I let them be. And they also keep the city from expanding too far into the forest. So, so it acts as a, the forest acts as, acts as like a neutral buffer zone. But as soon as those orcs start trying to hack down and burn the forest down, you bet you that druid and his buddies will be there in a heartbeat. Yep, and next thing you know, they have a giant swarm of insects coming at them. Ah, <laughs> which will be in our next segment. Yes, it will. Our next Should segment. we just go ahead and segue into that? Sure. sure. All right. Okay. <laughs> right up. You have opened the treasure chest. You may choose an item. And now we go to the treasure chest, and it's going to be a rather buggy venture into the treasure chest because we're going to talk about a spell, a very powerful spell of the druids. Very powerful spell. That just has an amazing name, quite frankly. Creeping Doom. 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 Yes, this Creeping Doom is where the druid... It's a seventh-level spell where the druid summons forth... A mass of insects, about 500 to 1,000 of them, and they just go off in the direction that the druid says. I know what you're thinking. So what? It's a bunch of insects. However, when this carpet-like mass of insects comes across anything that takes normal damage, they do one hit point of damage per insect. So you're doing anywhere from 500 to 1,000 points of damage with this spell. Jeez. Um, yeah, pretty much any, anything that takes normal damage will be dead. Yeah, and pretty much. It's doom. You could kill a dragon with creeping doom. Yeah. Victor Von Do- Oh, sorry. Right. And, the, <laughs> yeah, and once the damage is dealt, those ins- however much damage was dealt to the creature to kill it, those insects are dead, but the rest still live, and they keep creeping on in the direction the druid chooses. So It's like the plague of locusts that Moses did in Egypt. <laughs> yes, it is. It totally is the plague of locusts. I'm picturing Charlton Heston out there. Let my people go. 
This is how you decimate armies. Yeah. A couple druids casting this will stand up to any army of little one and two level soldiers. Oh, yeah. And what level does druids get seventh level spells? Twelfth level. Twelfth level. Oh. So when they hit the point where there's only nine of them in the world. And what level do clerics get uh, seventh level spells? Sixteenth. So they gain, even though some of the spells are different, another just kind of side point. Druids gain higher level spells a lot more quickly than clerics and other classes. Right. And, and hence why I'm sure they put in there can only be nine uh-huh. into the game. Otherwise, right. you why wouldn't you have? They would take over the world. Yeah. it would. <laughs> at which point then the druids would probably start killing themselves because that would bring things out of balance. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. It, it, it's a, so in some ways, by limiting themselves to nine, they're ensuring balance is achieved. Hmm. Another good point. I never thought of that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so as you can see, the druids are all about balance, including holding themselves back. Mm-hmm. I just found that uh, that is the spell, I think, that probably holds the record that does the most damage. Yeah, I can't think it of has to. anything else that's going to do a thousand points of damage. Uh, even at the low end, that's more than any other spell. Right. Oh, yeah. Well, I only give 500 points of damage. Yeah, but, but you did 500 points of damage to Bahamut. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're a 20th level uh, magic user casting fireball. Ooh, you got 20 d6. Oh, that's nice. That's cute. Oh, that's cute. Um, yeah. If you cast five of them, my locust swarm. You you might be on level with my locust swarm. Yeah. I did find it amusing. If you go to the last sentence of its description, there are a number of ways to thwart or destroy the creatures from forming the swarm, all of which methods should be obvious. So it says, yeah, you can just kill them as you would a giant bunch of insects, but they don't actually tell you how. Yeah. What, just run away? (laughs) I guess if you were to fireball the swarm, maybe? Yeah, it would waste them. Yeah, you would just need a big area effect spell. But if you didn't have a way to do massive damage to a bunch of insects... Or a big can of medieval raid. Drop a daisy cutter bomb on them. Yeah. Yeah, you need to get yourself some Agent Orange to defoliate the area. But yeah, it's just a really nasty spell. It just shows you the power that druids do have. Yeah, so I'm like, actually, it's not even just insects. It's like arachnids, myriapods, myriapods, which, what the heck are those? So you have spiders, you got centipedes, you got probably like I don't know what else, like those big like other oh, centip um, myriapods are like centipedes and things. So centipedes, millipedes, yeah. uh you got all your venomous spiders, you bees, have, I guess, hornets, I guess, yeah, spiders. Hornets. Just a um, swarm of them coming at you. Oh, f- uh fire ants, fleas, uh, fleas, ticks. There's just so much chaos that could be caused by unleashing this. Good thing druids are neutral, because if they yeah, were actually yeah. concerned with world domination, they could level yeah, towns pretty easily. Yeah. yeah. Really? Yeah. But. Yeah, I love that spell. I'm glad you picked that out. Right. That's like, that's, it, that's the infamous spell. <laughs> right. It, it's, 
for just straight damage output, there's nothing that beats it. Nothing. I mean, and it just shows the power of the druids once they achieve high level. Yeah, on top of the fact that when they can summon elementals without you know worrying and losing control of them. Right. They so, can do that too. Yeah. So first <laughs> they send the, first they send the creeping doom in just to get all the weak stuff out of the way. Then what's left over? That's when the elementals go in. Yeah, they summon sixteen hit dice fire elementals. They say, "Yeah, uh, see that guy over there? Could you like burn him?" Right. The the, the one with sure. all the uh, flea mites. Go yeah. go take him out. Yeah, that's sick. I want to play a druid now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I actually I, I'm kind of leaning towards that too. I'm just like, wow, I never realized just how much fun they would be because you, you get the go between that. I'm a healer fighter fairly well. And I mean, the only drawback to the Druid is, Oh, you have to wear leather armor and would use wood shields. Yeah. Oh no. When I'm doing a thousand points of insect damage, I don't, I'm not worried about a wooden shield. Uh, Yeah. But you know, upside is they actually have a little bit better weapon choice than the cleric because they can use, Bladed weapons, they can use a scimitar. Right. So, yeah. and, just, and if a scimitar or speed somehow comes up in the campaign, now the druid's the fastest fighter in the group. <laughs> yeah. At that point, everyone's just like, why are we even here? Yeah. He doesn't need us. <laughs> he doesn't. He's a one-man army. <laughs> Stupid hippie. Yeah. Him and all of his animal friends. Yeah. Yeah. You could he, almost... scares nice and... Yeah. You could almost run a campaign, like a solo campaign as a druid. You almost could. Especially once they get high high enough level. Once they get 12th level, they get uh, three first level followers. Mm-hmm. So, in, a, in addition to all the hit dice of animal companions and elemental companions and insects they summon. Yeah, so at 7th level, they can control up to 14 hit dice of creatures with their okay. that, that spell. Yeah. So, That's yeah. like whales. Right. <laughs> yes. uh, or dinosaurs. No, can't do dinosaurs. Oh, no dinosaurs. Huh. Intelligence level's too low. Ah, they have to have actually a certain monicum of intelligence. Yes, they have to be animal intelligence or... Uh, I think with animal friendship, they have to have a minimum intelligence of animal but no more than semi okay because i dinosaurs are non i believe ah so if you gave a dinosaur like a potion to gain intelligence you could then charm it and write have a druid riding a dinosaur hey it's (laughs) it's moon boy and double dinosaur remember that comic yes i do (laughs) (laughs) and the chair speaks Yes, the chair speaks. That and we cl- close the lid on the treasure chest. Yes. <laughs> and we put all the insects back in. Yes. Uh, I, I'm just envisioning if you were just normal people, like villagers seeing this spell unleashed, just the, their skin crawling and being all like itchy for like a week afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, Everybody get insectophobias now. Right. Or just imagine if you already had, like, arachnophobia or something. (laughs) Yeah. Creepy. Yeah. Creepy. But, yeah. Druid spells. Really uber-powerful. Yes. Yes. What are you going to do? Yeah. 
play a druid next time? Yeah. That's like, what I'm totally. <laughs> well, guess what? We have a, another vault coming up. Blackstone's vault, and uh, it's not Nick. We swear. It's not we Nick. We swear. Totally swear. Nope, definitely not. Even nope, though he definitely. gets two pickaxe to send to his house. So. Mm. He's just Blackstone's accountant. Yeah. Hey, I, I, I deny all knowledge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I anyway, the fifth. <laughs> let's head into uh, the Blackstone's vault, and we'll be back right after this. Blackstone's vault. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Blackstone's Vault. I am your host, Blackstone, and this is a second part of a new uh, adventure series. It's Dungeon Module ASE 2-3 of the Anomalous Subsurface Environment. It's by Patrick Wetmore, and it's for character levels 2 through 4. And this one covers dungeon levels 2 and 3. So this will take up from the previous one of the Mega Dungeon. So you had level one, and this is uh, the second and third level. So to begin with, this adventure really is a mini-campaign of sorts. It's an add-on to the previous uh, edition of the Anomalous Subsurface Environment that came out uh, a couple of years ago. Now, to start off with, there is a brief introduction. There's a slight addendum to the first uh, ASE-1 about the firearms and how a damage is done with firearms. Basically, when you have any sort of firearms, it does what you have is exploding dice, which means if you roll maximum on the table, you're able to roll again as far as damage is concerned. But you only do that once. Uh, also, there's some more rumors and encounters that you might have in the city of Denethex. So there was a few more tables. And then it gets really interesting. Now, uh, as in in the previous one, they talked about the scientists and the Mokhtars, the various different new races. This one has new classes. And again, to reiterate, this whole series was written for Labyrinth Lord which is very similar to uh, basic expert edition, either Moldve or Metzer rules uh, uh, from back in the early mid-80s. So basically race is class, and that's how it's defined in here. But this doesn't mean you cannot convert it to first edition AD&D. I did that with a little bit of work. It wasn't that hard, but just the... Let you know, you have the insect men of the Lanathnide Waste. I think I said that right. Lanathnide Waste, however it's pronounced. But basically, these insect men live in these wastelands. Uh, to have a, what's similar to these insect men to what's in AD&D, they're basically the Thrycreen. So you have those, and there's some stats on what they can do. Uh, you also have the Mokhtar which are like Ukla the Mach from Thundar the Barbarian fame. And there's some interesting things about the Mokdar, what makes them uh, an interesting race to play. You also can play robots. Yes, you can play, well, I guess something similar to 
Oh, I don't know. C-3PO? In, in a way, they're, they're, kind of, they're robots and they have positronic brains. And one of the cool things about the robots is as you gain levels, you get more accessories added to your body. Your armor class goes down. Uh, attacks per round uh, go up. Uh, your unarmed attacks per round uh, get better damage. So that's the scientist. And uh, I mean, that's the robot. And then you have the scientist, excuse me the scientist class and what scientific powers they have enhancements when you play one of the scientist class. And those are rather interesting. If you recall from last time, the scientists are like a quasi uh, religious cult who believe that science is a God. They literally worship at the altar of science. So you could play a scientist in this world of the anomalous subsurface environment. So, again, they got the insect men, the Mokhtar, uh, you got the scientists uh, as far as new races. And you can modify it a little bit to a fit first edition AD&D. I did a little tweaks here and there. So that's how it's going to play in my game. But if you want to play it with the Labyrinth Ward rules or basic and expert edition, you wouldn't have a problem with doing that at all. Just, you know, turn the key and go. Next section is they have a section on various types of wizards that you might encounter in the wastelands outside of Denethex. Uh, so there's some basically some crazy NPCs that you might run into. And wizards is kind of a general term in this world. It's basically anybody who's using either magic or science and or both together to try to gain power. And they're termed wizards in this game world. So, for example, there's one called uh, the Toy Maker. He was a normal human. He's dressed in a tweed suit wearing a derby hat. He drags an unwieldy paisley suitcase along with him. If threatened, the to- Toy Maker will unlatch the suitcase, revealing an interior filled with gray fog, and 2d4 wind-up toy soldiers and sock monkeys will march out of the foggy suitcase, and they'll basically attack you. So that's one of these crazy weird wizards is the Toy Maker. Uh, another section there's a little bit on some NPC adventuring parties that you can um, use. So they're already pre-made for you, because, you know, sometimes in a random encounter role, you need to do a adventuring party, and there's a few in here that fits within the game world, which is pretty good. So that will be in that section. Next, you go right into level two, the anomalous subsurface environment. And in this section, it is really, really crazy. And like the previous book, at the beginning of each level, there's different factions that you might have to deal with. And and maybe some ideas. And if the party does certain things, they might be able to gain the loyalty of a certain faction or pit factions against each other. So... There might be some um, hints or clues in for the DMs, like if certain events arise, uh, certain things might happen to allow factions to interact with the uh, player characters. Some of the factions on the level there are um, they're clowns. There is a circus on this level, but it's not your Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey circus. That's you know happy-go-lucky with elephants and trampolines and what have you. 
Oh, yeah, there's trampolines, but these are kind of like, these clowns are like, if you remember the movie Killer Clowns from Outer Space, yeah, they're pretty much like that. So, <laughs> not to get much detail, the, the, the best part, though, is the, uh, the center ring of the circus where there's the possibility of the adventuring party. You have to deal with an Allosaurus in the big top. So, yes, that's part of it. So, yes, you have to deal with these, uh, well, they're carnivorous uh, clowns. And they're really creepy. And I could tell you that this will really throw a party uh, <laughs> on its ear. So, you have that section of of level two. One of my favorite parts of level two is there's a section, it's a room called the head exchanger. There's this... Uh, chair that if the, one of the party members go into and I believe they hit a button or a lever it's either off or on won't happen and they'll get restrained their head will be surgically replaced with another head in a container on some shelves so it makes a real uh, interesting uh, situation that your player characters might get into you have another section in level 2 which Okay, you go from the circus, now you go into something a little more, I don't know, if you're like uh, heavy metal, then you'll understand that I'm, you know, talking heavy metal music. If you're into, you know, Quiet Riot, Scorpions, uh, ACDC and the like, there's a whole section that's kind of revolves around the heavy metal gods. And there's a artif- there's an artifact that you might be able to get. It's called the Metal Axe, and it is pretty darn cool, if you ask me. I kind of like how that was kind of incorporated into this adventure. You also have uh, some other areas. You have this one uh, uh, kind of, uh, he's an ogre, I believe. He is named Fat Grundle, and he may or may not attack you. He has this beer stein that that he hits you with. Uh, that's a pretty nasty encounter. There's also a cryogenic hall where there's people that has been suspended animation for hundreds, if not thousands of years. And you might be able to free some of these people. And then there is the section where it's basically a, a hospital, you might want to call it. A, a doctor's office. And that's where you might encounter Dr. Giggles. And Dr. Giggles, you can probably tell by his name, not exactly the most sane doctor in the world. So he's pretty nasty. He has troglodyte assistance. He has some um, of the uh, clown, also they're known as painted men, uh, assistance as well. So he might perform operations that could be beneficial or not so beneficial to the player characters if they get caught by Dr. Giggles and his crew. Also on this level, level two, you have a lair of the necromatic midgets. Yes, midgets that are necromancers, and they're pretty nasty, I must say. That'll <laughs> Everything in here is so unusual and so weird and just so refreshingly so that I, I really love almost each and every encounter. There's not one I really don't like. I, 
there's a good twist on everything, and it's really going to throw your players for a loop. So you have the lair of the necromatic midgets, and you also have the possibility of running into an Otiug in uh, basically a sewage facility. Uh, also, there's these huge caverns filled with mushrooms and other creatures that you might run into. And probably one of the most interesting and probably enigmatic of the encounters when you're in this large, very large cavern filled with mushrooms and under other sorts of fungi is you might encounter, he's just known as the man from below. And this man has been kind of wandering around for many, many years. And he says he's from the place of under Miami. He says he's awakened many times in under Miami, full of inexplicable anxiety or des- anxiety and desire to rush out of the safety of the subterranean city. He has always made his way to the deep tower from there up to this cavern where he rediscovers his diary on a ledge and begins writing anew. The handwriting is consistent, but the dates, if accurate, indicate a span of centuries. So this is kind of a, a, really it's an open-ended sort of uh, mystery right now. I would imagine this whole stuff about under Miami will be uh, brought up in later installments of the anomalous subsurface environment. So that's a bit of a mystery even now. So that's pretty much level two. Now level three is uh, a strange environment in being the fact that it's about half of it is flooded. So you're going to have some, I guess, aquatic encounters in here, or semi-aquatic. Now, some of the factions here on this level, you have the Mokhtar, who have come through on another entrance in the surface world. The Codmen, which are basically um, like Deep Ones or Kuotoa. The Goblins, and the Hinge-Headed. And I don't know if I mentioned the Hinge-Headed before, but... The hinge-headed are a very strange race of of creatures that uh, I would just have to say, I have to read the description. The hinge-headed appear to be incredibly strong human men with cylindrical bronze helmets entirely covering their heads. These cylinders have no openings whatsoever and are attached to bronze collars bolted to the necks of the men. The cylinders are hinged in the back, may be pried open to reveal the contents. A glowing crystal, clutched in the hand protruding from the neck, where the head would normally be. These crystals are the intelligences controlling the hinge-headed bodies. They may be of any color imaginable and are uncomfortably warm to the touch. So, he's hinge-headed. They're basically a weird alien race. So... I always thought that was, this is a really weird thing. It, I, I I don't know how he came up with this thing for the hinge-headed, but I think it's pretty cool and pretty weird, and I think it'll kind of disturb your your pl- your players a bit. So those are the hinge-headed. So, again, on this level, you have those factions. Uh, some rumors, maybe, about this level. Oh, a nice wandering monster chart. So that kind of begins the level, which is mostly flooded passages. Now, one of the unusual features of this level, and I don't know how the author got the idea of it, um, 
But there's like a series of stairs they're covered in like fungus and molds and stuff. And they have these, well, how should I say, unusual smells to them. There's like one set of stairs that smell like cinnamon, another one that smells like garlic, another one that smells like butter, and I think another one that, that uh, um, smells like, oh, I don't remember. I am so sorry. Brimstone. There's another one that smells like brimstone. So you have all those little various types of stairs on this level that have unusual smells to them. Maybe it's a way to try to tempt your player characters and trying to eat some of the stuff. I don't know. So that's one unusual feature of this level. Now just some of the things that you might encounter and some maybe traps that you might have on this level. You have the Lair of the Codmen that you might... Uh, that you go into. There's a room where there's a voice from elsewhere. You hear this crackling voice that comes from a man's head floating in the center of the room. It's like an image, and he's saying, Who's there? Can you hear me? Please respond. What do you want? And he's saying, Who are you? Where do you come from? And if you ask who he is, he will just say, Frank. He and where he's from, he just says, from the other side, whatever that means. You also have a couple of rooms with uh, traps that are lasers, uh, just to name a few. There's a room that has a fountain in it, and out of this fountain, there's various different spouts of different colors. And whichever color your drink might have something beneficial or it might not, depending on which color it is, and I'm not going to say what it is, because that would kind of ruin the adventure. But there's the uh, fountain room. There's also um, a statue of an automaton. He seems to have been broken, and it's kind of a weird... Um, his face has a seam, and if you, you could basically unscrew his face, because it's like a threaded, screwed hole that you can um, open up and see what's in there. You also have the Tomb of the Bone Lord. He's kind of like a, a, a white or a um, some other powerful undead who controls all these various types of skeletons in one room. You also have one room where there is what's called the Damp Feast. Here's this table and it's loaded down with all these various types of foods made by this ball up on the on the ceiling that is basically a robot and made all this food and it's some of it's good and some of it well not so good so whatever you taste and whatever you eat uh, might give you a beneficial effect, otherwise uh, it might not, but that's a very unusual encounter in there. Then also you have the, the the goblins that are on this level and the possibility of running into the goblin hive mind. So that, in a nutshell, is level 3. There's a lot more in level 3, because obviously, like I said, this is a mega dungeon, so there are some things I... I did skip over. One last thing about this dungeon that's rather unique. There's something called the Deep Tower. Now, this tower stretches 600 feet from its base in the fifth level up to the pinnacle in its second level. 
and it passes through solid stone for more than half its length. So, and the master of the Deep Tower is a magic user by the name of Tremexis, and he's quite mad. And there's various ways from the levels that you could gain access to the Deep Tower. And uh, so, in, in a way, this Deep Tower acts as a conduit between the various levels of the anomalous subsurface environment. And from what I can tell you is, by looking at the Deep Tower... I think it's pretty safe to say that there eventually will be six levels to the anomalous subsurface environment. So that's uh, the uh, deep tower. Now near the end of the book, there's uh, some new cleric and magic user spells that you're able to gain uh, uh, through the anomalous subsurface environment. There's some super science artifacts or items that you might be able to get like uh, one, for example, called the Galvanic Sword. This longsword appears to be a well-crafted but otherwise normal weapon. On its health is a red button. It depressed during attack. The attack hits the sword, and the attack hits the sword will discharge an additional one to eight points of electrical damage. So this is a pretty cool. It's almost like the Sun Sword from uh, Thunder the Barbarian, in a way. Uh, there's also the Ultrasonic Trap. Finder. This device is a black box, and you uh, there's a little speaker on it, and when you put it within mechanical traps about 30 feet, it says trap free or traps detected. So it's a, uh, a, a super science item. There's some magic items that you can get in here. Uh, there's uh, the uh, Crypt Crown, and this crown... It, any living teacher that touches this crown will instantly die and their flesh will slough off over the next hour. The The skeleton will then rise as the tomb guardian. So don't touch that. There's one I think is really cool. It's the ghost revolver. So it looks like an old rusty uh, sh six shooter. But one of the cool things, you can put normal bullets in it and they all fight and fire normally. But if the hammer lands on an empty chamber... A ghost bullet will fire, leaving a trail of eldritch green vapor as it fires towards the target. And it does, uh, and it also uh, affect creatures only hit by magical weapons. So if you find this ghost revolver, it's a pretty cool weapon because you don't have to worry about uh, any reloads. You just keep on shooting. So that's a couple of the magic items. There's the metal axe I did. Um, bring up earlier when you're in kind of the heavy metal section of dungeon level two. And there's a very long section on that. And then there's new uh, monsters. You have the aerial jellyfish. There is nightmare algae. Headless apes. Yes, this is just the A section. A drum automaton. A gladiatorial automaton. A pressure washer automaton. So... Uh, you have uh, bloodstained phantoms, uh, crawling clam, corpse curtains, eye jellies. Yeah, those are pretty nasty. So those are just some of the monsters that you have in the anomalous subsurface environment, including the medical mistake, the necromatic midgets, a flying, a flying vampiric piranha. 
If that isn't nasty enough, I don't know what is. Giant cave salamanders. Uh, lesser sewage elementals. You have gulping trolls. So those are some of the monsters that are, in the end of the book, part of the anomalous subsurface environment. And I think this is one of the, the greatest things about this adventure and what will be eventually a whole series of adventures. It's all new stuff, all new monsters that are in here. And then if it isn't new, like, for example, the goblins, there's a interesting twists that are put upon goblins in this particular game world. Because the goblins don't normally uh, you know, reproduce like anybody else does. They they pretty much spore off something from their body. So they're kind of like mutants in a way. So, again, a lot of unique stuff in this adventure. I really, really enjoy it. I cannot wait to see the rest of the series and you can find this adventure. You can go to Henchman Abuse uh, Blogspot, and you can uh, purchase it from there. There is a link to their um, to their instant uh, print website, so you can get either uh, a hard copy like I have, or you can uh, get a PDF of it, or you can get both. But I highly recommend this. It's Again, some of the most unique stuff I've ever seen come out from the old school Renaissance, and some of the most fun. I I like that it's quirky. I like that it's gonzo. It's over the top, because sometimes I think we take ourselves a little too seriously, and we just got to have a little fun and go back and just crawl around the dungeon and see what's weird. So, that's Dungeon Module ASE 2-3 Anomalous Subsurface Environment by Patrick Wetmore. Dungeon Levels 2 and 3. And this is for adventures for character levels 2 through 4. And this is uh, Blackstone signing off and saying, May all your hits be crits. So anyway, I guess that's going to put a close on the show. Wow. Okay. Very cool. All that we can say and uh, us grog nards... Just grognods, yes. Yeah. So, er, again, everybody, check out those Dragon Magazine articles. 48, 71, 119, and 122. Yeah. Or I think the issue 48 was also included in Best of Dragon Volume 3. So, you could check that as well. So, yeah. there you have it. Happy gaming. Happy gaming, indeed. Keep it original, keep it old school, and good night. Good night. Good night. Roll for initiative.